You're listening to the Nate Lull Podcast. Download each new episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And now, here's Nate. Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing well out there. This is Nate Lull here on the Nate Lull Podcast. I always appreciate you checking back in. I'll try to keep this short because I think we'll explain everything during today's special edition, but this is not an episode I had on my radar at all. I'm usually one for planning everything out and trying to book my guests well in advance, but this was something that I did in my personal life, and when I came back to work, my boss, Craig Stevens, said, we have to do something about this, and I want to interview you. So Craig twisted my arm and said, we have to do this. So Craig is doing the interview today, and I will be talking about a running race that I did where I ran 100 miles in 24 hours. Yes, you heard that right, 100 miles all at once, and Craig really wanted to talk about it. So I said, you know what? We also have to bring in my local running coach, Rob Monroe. He's the associate athletic director over at SUNY Delhi and has done so much in his coaching career uh, both at BG when he was coaching in, at the high school ranks and then at SUNY Delhi for track and cross country. And uh, he's been there doing that for 10 years or so now. So we've had Rob on the show before. If you want to go back in the archives and listen to that, he's certainly a fascinating guy. So this is a special edition. Nate runs 100 miles. Rob can take us through how he coached me for this event and just uh, kind of how crazy it actually was. I did not go into this race thinking I would run 100 miles, and I didn't think we'd be doing a podcast about it. So looking back on it now, I'm glad we did the interview. Craig twisted my arm, and uh, I think later on I will appreciate that I have this kind of locked in time, and I'll get my my thoughts of those moments uh, because it was a really enjoyable and incredible experience and a life goal for me. So I hope you'll enjoy today's interview. All right, before we jump into it, I want to thank all our special sponsors here for this special edition. They include NYCM Insurance of Edmiston, Shenango Memorial Hospital of Norwich, Shandello Federal Credit Union of Franklin, the Amphenol Corporation of Sydney, Sports Field Specialties of Delhi. We have SFCU, Preferred Mutual Insurance Company of New Berlin. We have Marabito Gresham Insurance, Certified Auto Outlet of Oneonta, Clark Sports Center of Cooperstown, Certified Financial Planner Ed Curley, the Delaware National Bank of Delhi, New York Pizzeria of New Berlin, the Rinker Insurance Agency of Afton, Waste Recovery Enterprises of Sydney, the NBT Insurance Agency, DTC Delhi Telephone Company, Gavin's Pizzeria of Sydney, Marabito Energy Products, Superior Heating and Air Duct Cleaning of Sydney. We also have Covered Bridge Farm Market of Unadilla, Advantage Maytag Home Appliance Center in Oneonta, and JM Electrical Contracting of Bainbridge. All right, a special edition today, Nate Runs 100 Miles. I hope you'll enjoy this, folks. Sit back, relax, and enjoy on the Nate Lull Podcast.
Hey, everybody. Welcome back. A special edition today here on the Nate Lull podcast. Uh, seems like we've had a bunch of special ones recently, but that usually means good stuff is going on. So I have two guests in the studio today to talk about my least favorite favorite topic, which is myself. But I do think that this is a, a good one that's worth talking about. So uh, I'm going to turn it over here in just a second to uh, WCDO General Manager Craig Stevens. He's going to be conducting today's interview, and we also have Rob Monroe with us today, uh, who is not only my running coach, but uh, he's been on the podcast before, and one of my favorite episodes, if you want to go back in the archives, I believe it's episode 96, somewhere in there, it's in the 90s, Rob talks about uh, coaching at BG. And uh, your Chad Noel story is still one of my favorites of all time uh, and what he's doing at SUNY Delhi, And uh, I'm sure we'll get into all that today. So without further ado, Craig, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Nate. I'm very excited about uh, ha- uh, doing this interview because two things. One, I thought about it, you know, with questions and that kind of thing before an interview. And I thought, you know, the first time that I met you, it was 10, 11 years ago when you were still working in Buffalo and you were considering potentially moving back and we were talking about the possibility of you doing sports here and so on. And then it was a few days later that uh, I looked at the front page of the Daily Star and uh, you were right <laughs> on the front page going the, through the, the finish line there in the pit run. And I thought, I, I knew that he ran, but... Like I turned to someone and said, he's really good. And, uh, you know, and you were, it was the shorter version. It was the pit run 5K. So I, I don't have any claims to fame of winning the 10K, but even to have the 5K is, was pretty cool. Yeah, well, that's, so that's when I first learned of your running prowess, so to speak. And Rob, I'm really happy to have Rob here because, I, you know, I got to tell you, Rob, I still see that long-haired kid in high school because, you know, I haven't seen Rob in a long time, and it's still the face. He's got that smile, that face. Uh, he's got the shorter hair now, but I remember that kid always running, and uh, just uh, the, you heard about this Rob Monroe kid, uh, and uh, now it's great to have you both in here to talk about what you guys love so much. So I have a lot of questions for Rob, but I want to first establish uh, Nate's running history. Okay, so oh, basically, <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing major. Just what? Uh, when did you get serious about running? It's funny that you bring up the pit run because um, I was probably oh gosh in seventh or eighth grade, and my dad and I were in Oneonta, and we were getting our haircuts, and. He picked up a brochure for the pit run. Uh, our barber at the time, Bob Steneford, um, was a big time runner, so he always loved to talk about running. And we went out to eat afterwards, and my mom said to my dad, "You can't be serious. Like you're not going to run the pit run. Like we don't, you don't run." And my dad was like, "I'm going to do it." <laughs> so we ended up training and doing the pit run that year. I want to say it was it was in the year 2000. I can remember the shirt. And we did the pit run together. And um, at the time, they had the Police Pursuit Series. It was a a series of three races. One was in Ithaca, one was in Binghamton, one was in Oneonta. And we decided to do all three. So the next year, we did all three, and it kind of just started from there. So you got the bug. And then what about in high school? Well, it's funny because at the time, we didn't have cross-country or track at GMU. And my sophomore year of high school, we did end up getting a track team, 
and I made the switch from baseball to track and really enjoyed it for three years. We never trained hard enough to, I feel like, really do anything. We, I shouldn't say that. We did well. We actually won the Section 4 Class D Championship my senior year, but I feel like we didn't really understand running as I know it now with very specific training. Like we were just surviving on (laughs) kind of talent alone and uh, goofing off. So, but I, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't really have a lot of official race experience. A lot different than I'm sure Rob's training at the time in high school. Exactly. Much different. Yeah. Doug Quinney, Doug Quinney had spent a lot of time developing a system that he knew worked. So I was I was trained very low mileage, but it, it was really sound training as you looked at the, the history books in Sydney and saw all the runners he turned out. So, Nate, and this is just a guesstimate, so it doesn't have to be. How many races would you say you've done from that point to now? Boy, between 5Ks, 10Ks, mm-hmm. half marathons, marathons, I would say – 300 some odd races. I mean, there was a time when I was that guy that had to find a 5k every weekend and it didn't matter. I would drive all over. And when I lived in Buffalo, I mean, there was a whole series of races that we did uh, throughout the year. So I just loved doing it. And I've gotten away from that a little bit more. I like to kind of pick and choose, but it would be like, oh, I didn't run well last Saturday. I'll just run another one next Saturday. So I really enjoyed doing that for a, a long time. What about you, Rob? You've probably got, <laughs> I don't know how many under your belt. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine between my years in college running for a team. So you were racing pretty frequently there. And then uh, post-collegiately, I did a lot of racing. I got into snowshoe racing for a while. Um, I did end up kind of really getting away from racing as my coaching grew more and more because my Saturdays were occupied as a coach instead of as a competitor at that point. But even even when I took some of my BGA kids down to Australia for the Down Under games, while we were there, the meet promoters started talking about it. You know, if anybody wants to enter and the, the kids that I had taken from BGA started giving me a hard time about running the steeplechase. So I jumped into a steeplechase down there. I borrowed a <laughs> pair of spikes and, and ran the steeplechase down there. So I've got a lot of races, but not, not a lot in the recent history. Well, sure. we're going to talk about the steeplechase too, because I'm <laughs> amazed by that race and extremely uh, impressed. So, when, Nate, did you do your first 26.2 marathon, mile marathon? Boy, that's a story. Um, I want to say it was probably like 2010, and I had no respect for the race or the distance at all. <laughs> it was a complete disaster. Um, I had trained, but it was probably a bad combination of really hot weather. The course was not great, and I ran – a four-hour and 40-minute marathon. I walked pretty much the last six miles. I was cramping so bad. It was a really not good experience. I, I I pride myself on the fact that I finished it because there was a lot of opportunities to quit. And I, I knew at that point I finished that race that I could do a lot of different things. And I actually met a guy. They took me to the aid tent. <laughs> and uh, there was a guy in there. And we were sitting next to each other, and he looked over at me. He says, is this your first marathon? I said, yeah. He goes, promise me right now you're going to do another one. I said, oh, man, I don't know. This was awful. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, I've done Boston. I've done Chicago, New York. He goes, I've done a lot of marathons. He goes, this was really bad today. The weather was awful. He's like, don't judge marathoning on this. 
you got to do another one. I said, okay. I didn't do another one for probably two or three years. Um, and then that second one I did ends up being my fastest marathon ever. Really? So I'm so glad I gave it another chance because it would have been very easy at that point to walk away. It was probably one of the worst running days I've ever had. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say you didn't take it seriously and so on. That's only 13 years ago. And the way I know you, right. you know, I can't imagine you, you know, just not, uh, you know, being almost overtrained. I thought I was prepared. I went in thinking, oh, I do all these other races. I know how to race. I know how to fuel. How bad can it be, right? Well, I found out real fast how bad it could be. <laughs> well, I see Rob shaking his head over there. Have you have you done any uh, marathons? I have not ever done a marathon, no. I've The longest race I've done is a half marathon. I've done Sunday training runs that are 18 miles long when I was in college, but I've never run a marathon. I've coached marathoners. My wife, I trained her. My sister trained her for marathons, but I've never done one myself. Now, do you have, uh, do you aspire to do one someday? Yeah, we'll see about that. Um, I, I had those aspirations and I've entered marathons before, but I always went with the mindset of being a competitor and I was going to not just go to the marathon for the purpose of finishing, but I was going to race. Um, and my only goal was to qualify for Boston. So in the age group I was in at the time, that was not an easy task. So I was entered and really training hard and sustained injuries in the buildup to those marathons. So I've never made it to a start line. So I've entered, I think, four, but I've never made it to a start line. <laughs> okay. How many have you completed, Nate? So I would say I count 18 that I've really completed now. Um, I don't count my ultras and some other stuff. In that, I just count them like if I, I signed up for a 26.2, that's what I count. And uh, that kind of became my bug for a few years, and it still is. I really enjoy doing them. But there was a few years where I did several in a year. Uh, so that that number added up pretty quick because for a while I was sitting on one for <laughs> three right. or four years. Well, that reminds me of the uh, the start of the insanity when you did two marathons in one week. Yeah. Was that a couple of years ago, two or three years ago? Yeah, Rob and Rob and I were working together at the time, like as as him as my coach, and um, I signed. I don't even remember how it ended up being. I signed up for Chicago. And then I think I got in and I didn't expect to get in. And I, in the meantime, had signed up for the Corning wine glass marathon. And I said to Rob, I think I want to do both. I think he thought I was a little crazy. Um, but I also look back at that as saying, I think that was kind of the start of, well, maybe I should try an ultra. If I can do two marathons in a week, what else can we do? So right. <laughs> I feel like that was the start of it. And I really enjoyed that experience. It was a lot of fun. Rob, you train people, like you said, and all. Is there a danger in doing something like that? Uh, yes, if you're not prepared for it. Um, but if, you're, if your body is trained well enough and prepared and you've done the work, then the foundation is there and, and you'll be all right. I think thinking back to that cycle, we were kind of in the mindset that depending on how training was going and we were going to be able to look at the weather um, – Chicago is typically really fast and Nate wanted to run really fast. So my thought was Chicago, but the weather looked perfect for wine glass mm. the week before. And the 10 day forecast was showing Chicago being like 80 degrees. So it, it kind of became, well, let's yeah, do them both. And, and he ran great at wine glass and felt really good. And now Chicago could be more of a, 
a victory lap. I think it was probably a really uncomfortable one. But um, It's funny because it did end up being like 80 degrees. I can remember walking to the start at Chicago. The sun's not even up yet, and it was 70-something degrees and humid, and I was so thankful that we'd had good weather for yeah. wine glass. Well, what what makes you – you know, you're, go, you're, you're running along. I've always wondered this. You're running along, and you have your ups and downs during a race, I'm sure – but what are some of the things that go through your head when you're running a marathon of that length if it's not necessarily, wow, my knee's killing me? Or what are some of the – you think about life and other things? Yeah, I do. I mean I I totally understand. And if someone is listening that's not a runner, they're thinking that sounds like awful, right? Pure torture. For me, it's kind of my happy place. Um, and to me, I can be out there and enjoy the moment a little bit. And look around. You, it's a awesome way to see a city. You get to go in so many places that maybe in the car you can't appreciate or you never get a chance to go in these places on foot. I've always enjoyed that part of it. And you get to meet – probably my favorite part is you get to meet so many interesting people. And you would think like, well, you're running. How can you meet people? But you just kind of end up packing up with people who are around the same speed as you. And we have a lot of the same – you know, goals in the race, but then you get to say where they're from and who their family is. And you just end up meeting a lot of cool people. And for me, that really makes the miles fly by. There's a, there's a guy that I still talk to a couple times a week. I randomly met him in the London marathon. And my wife always jokes, like, how do you meet someone and become friends? <laughs> like, during every race that you do. But I talk to this guy all the time. Um, his name is Dean. I love Talking to Dean, we bounce stuff off each other running-wise, and we've just always stayed in touch. So you just never know what's going to happen out there. I've always wondered when people say they meet people and they talk to people and, oh, it was great, that person was with me, we chatted the whole race. How do you, you know, you're obviously you're trained well, but how do you talk and do all that running as well? I mean, you know, Rob, I'll ask you, how do, you know— well, I guess the the real easy answer is if you're running so fast in the marathon that you can't carry a conversation, um, unless you're an elite marathoner, you've probably gone out way too hard and it's going to hurt really bad. So that can almost be a good tool for a person to make sure that they're keeping themselves in check a little bit. Um, and I think when when you talk about the marathoners that are not in that elite group that are running two hours to 210, um, you know, you look at people that are out there for four hours and five hours and six hours that there's a shared struggle there that I think really creates a bond among all of the people in it. So I think a lot of times you can develop a connection with somebody you're running next to, even without having shared much conversation. Well, this brings me that, that struggle and all brings me to Rob and in regards to, all right, let's talk about. Uh, who Rob Monroe is today, Associate Athletic Director at SUNY Delhi. Prior to that position, coached and taught at Bainbridge-Guilford for 11 years and was the head coach of SUNY Delhi's cross-country and track and field programs for nine years. He's guided his teams to numerous championships, including, and I was amazed when I was reading this, a women's track and field national title in 2014, men's track and field national title in 2015, and four straight men's cross-country national titles from 2016 to 2019. Suffice it to say, Rob knows a little bit about 
<laughs> competitive track and field, cross country, and training. And uh, first of all, what is it about coaching and training individuals? Because it is a very individual sport. Even when there's the the team, even in a relay, at that moment, your number two runner or or your you know the number four guy. It, what, what do you do to make these people better runners? So I think one of the things I like the most about coaching is the puzzle of it. You know, we have the science, we have the physiology, we all, anybody can learn that. You can pick up a textbook and learn why you do a certain type of workout and what pace in theory should work for that type of workout. But that science comes from the law of averages. And they studied, you know, 10,000 people and they found that that worked for the mass majority of them the best, but there's all those outliers and people that respond really well below that pace or above that pace. So I've always really liked the puzzle of taking what you have and then adapting it to the individual to figure out what really makes their body click and and what really gets the most out of them. So you talk about it's a team sport and in the 1500, you might have three teammates, but all three of them might have trained completely differently to get to the same endpoint. Um, you know, you might have somebody that was more of a 5K runner that came down to the 15, somebody that was an 800 runner that you convinced to move up to the 15, and you might have that person that's the quintessential 1500 runner that's kind of the mixed zone athlete. So those three people need completely different training to get better at the same exact task. So I've always enjoyed that part of it. You know, why I was so impressed with the numbers I just gave is because, well, I think let's just take the pros. Uh, the New York Rangers proved it. The Mets and Yankees prove it often that you can buy all these great players. <laughs> you put them together and maybe it's not such a great team. And in your case, you're working with a lot of different people at, you know, at a lot of different levels. And to keep that consistency of uh, success is really impressive. Yeah, but I think like Nate's talking about the culture of running, and I think track and field is very similar. Um, you know, you build a team atmosphere where everybody understands they're all going to get to the same goal in different ways, but they have that shared respect for what everyone has to go through because nobody's getting there easily. Everyone has to earn their 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 way to that place. So I think even though you're training people so individually, and it really is um, an individual aspect in that way, they're all going to that same location and they can all appreciate that everyone else did something very difficult to get there. Well, SUNY Delhi, I believe is lucky to have you. And, uh, let's talk about your accolades, uh, when you were in high school and, uh, college, New York state class C and D steeplechase champion, uh, as a student in Sydney, Rob studied and ran at Virginia Tech and then the University of Delaware. And you have the fourth fastest time in University of Delaware's school history in the steeplechase. I mean, not only are these things impressive, but I'm glad you ran the steeplechase so much because I have always been extremely intrigued by that race. And for people that don't know it by name, the steeplechase – Explain what that is and why I'm so intrigued by it. So it's a 3,000-meter it's a race, so it's just short of two miles. Um, and I guess they decided that the two-mile was too boring, so 
they put barriers on it. So you get five barriers per lap. Uh, one of those barriers you cut onto the infield to hit it because it has a water pit on the other side of it. So you have to jump through the water pit as well. Um, and then the barriers are not typical hurdles. They're about 200 pounds and they do not move. So if you hit them, <laughs> they don't flinch. You do. Um, so that, that sometimes can create some carnage, <laughs> even watching the world championships and the U S championships, the guy who won the U S senior title and made the final at the world championships in the U S championship final was coming at a barrier. And the guy in front of him missed time to jump and he lost visibility on it. And he ran his hips clean into it and grabbed it and flipped right over it and had to catch himself and get back up and keep going. So it it's basically just a an obstacle course for distance runners. Yeah, so, I mean, there are, I think, what, like eight obstacles in it or 12? There's there's five per lap, so you actually hit 35 barriers wow. over the course. 35 barriers, it's 28 dry barriers and seven with the water pit over the course of the race. And why did you <laughs> like that race? You know, why— so going back to my freshman year in high school, you had to place at a certain level in each different meet to advance. And I remember I wanted to try the steeplechase. Clay Lodeweiss was a senior at Sydney at the time um, and had been a state medalist the year before. And I just thought it seemed cool. And I tried a steeplechase at the Monticello Invitational, and it was the worst thing I have ever felt in my life. It's so uncomfortable. It's just such a different type of fitness. And so then we got through the rest of the year and go to the league championships, and I, I ran really well in the mile. I ran really well in the eight, but I missed qualifying for the state qualifiers by one spot in both of those events. And I really was not ready for my season to be over. And Doug Quinney looked at me and said, I can get you in in the steeplechase. And I was like, all right, I, I'll do it again. Even though I swore earlier that season I'd never do it, <laughs> that was my path to continue my season. So I ran the steeplechase at the Section 4 championships at Ithaca High School, they did not have the infrastructure for an actual steeple, so we ran it over actual hurdles. And that took away my ability to jump onto the barrier and then push off on the other side and be safe. But it also forced me to attack the barriers and hurdle them. And I ran a minute and 25 seconds faster than I had earlier in the season and placed sixths at the Section 4 championship with uh, Clay Lodeweiss set the Section 4 record that day. Um, so he was on top of the podium. I was on the bottom step and that just kind of became my entry into the event. And after that, I started doing it more frequently. I kind of learned a little more about you have to hurdle the barriers, even though they're big and scary. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was how I landed in it. And I just fell in love with it. The steeplechase is a good entry into the, um, I don't want to call that words like insanity <laughs> that, uh, Nate Lull has been looking into these days and you know i think there's a, there's a i think there's a connection there because it's just like you said it's all those different things you have to do at once you're trained well to run but uh, you know can you hurdle uh can you uh, run through the water and then keep your pace and and so on and um nate came to you as as his trainer so to speak and uh asked you about uh ultra marathons uh are you familiar with a lot of these new? Uh... So Nate was the uh, first ultra marathon I coached. Um, I think I'm going to say it was the spring of 2021 when Nate reached out to me, I think, and yeah. we set up the training cycle. I think that was the training cycle for wine glass in Chicago. And so I, I had worked with some marathon training before. So 
I worked with him on that. And then after he did those two back to back, he's, he's exactly right. That's when he said, you know, I, I kind of, I'm curious <laughs> about what else is out there. And that was when we started looking at ultras. And so his ultra up in the Adirondacks was the first time I'd ever worked with somebody training for an event like that. And so Apparently that wasn't enough for him, so he's had to <laughs> continue to expand my coaching horizon, which is good. It challenges me. It makes me think about things differently. Um, you know, I talked about that puzzle that I liked. I knew the event, and I liked the puzzle of the people. Well, this was like the opposite. Now I'd worked with the person, and I had to figure out how to plug them into the puzzle of this really unique event. So um, it, it's just kind of a reverse engineering of the thought process, but it does challenge you and make you think about things very differently. Yeah, I uh, I thought, you know, when they got bored with the ho-hum 26.2 mile on the road, that that's for that's too easy. Let me look into some of these others. And uh, so in regards to the ultramarathons, for you folks, uh, Nate's going to explain it in greater detail, but for you folks that don't know they're they're different they're uh many of them uh, are odd in so many ways but uh the uh well august 19th and 20th nate ran 100 miles in a 24-hour period so let that sink in for a moment 100 miles in 24 hours tell us about this ultra marathon and how you ended up i think it was in new jersey right I was in New Jersey. First off, I have to say I, I'm enjoying listening to a non-runner talk about running. It cracks me up a little bit. <laughs> so, Can you tell I did my homework? Yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> I also have to say how lucky I am to work with Rob because when I reached out to him, um, he's super busy. And I remember him saying, like, I don't really take on that many clients anymore. It's not really something I do, but he kind of took a flyer on me and it's worked out really well on my end for sure. And I think we've developed a, a great friendship from it as well. So, but, you know, I had a friend who is very into ultras, uh, Gabby Pedersen. She lives up in Oneonta. Uh, we went to high school together. Her husband is Justin Pedersen. Um, you know, Jeff Pedersen is Justin's dad. We all know him from the, the paddling world and uh, Southern Tier Canoe. And they've done a bunch of these races. So I've always kind of watched her social media and, when we get together with them, hear her stories about these things. And I always thought, that sounds cool. And when I did the race up in Old Forge, I realized that the trail running scene and the ultra scene are just different. It's very low key. Um, there's usually less people there, which just kind of has more of like a family atmosphere. And I was really kind of gravitating towards that after doing so many of these big city marathons where you're sitting around a lot, the logistics are tough, it's expensive. This just kind of seemed like something new and different. So Gabby had talked about this race, um, which they call a backyard race. So every hour you have one hour to do a four point, roughly a 4.1 mile loop. And as long as you complete the loop in that hour, you can start again. So there's no set distance to this race. You're not saying, oh, it's a five-mile race. It's a 10-mile race. Everyone who enters this race is basically trying to either go as far as they've ever gone or something along those lines. It's kind of almost a race for your own personal goals, which I really like. And the guy who created this style, his name is Lazarus Lake, 
and he created the Barkley Marathons, which if you don't know the Barkley Marathons, it's probably one of, if not the craziest endurance events out there. There's a great Netflix documentary on it, um, a lot of great YouTube videos. I won't go into explaining it except to say that it's absolutely insane. So he created this style, and it's really starting to pick up some speed. I feel like I'm seeing more about it out there on YouTube if you go down the rabbit hole. And there was one in New Jersey, and Gabby said that the organization that puts it on is really well run. She likes the race director, and she said um, that she was going to sign up. And I said, would you – am I stepping on your toes? Could I go as well? And she goes, I'd love it. I would love if you would come and and try it. So I felt really good going into it knowing I knew all these people that would be there, and I just thought I would try to go and and do the best I could. So back to this four-mile loop – it's the same loop over and over again. Yes. As long as you do it within the 60 minute period. And for people out there, they might think, oh, that's not so bad for a runner, four miles, four point whatever uh, in an hour. Well, there's got to be time in there to drink, eat, maybe rest a tiny bit, or how? what happens? <laughs> <laughs> I think Rob can speak to this as well because we went in trying to formulate a plan because if you're a runner, running four miles in an hour is really, quote unquote, not that difficult. Yes, this is on a trail, so there's roots and rocks and hills and obstacles, but it's still, that's plenty of time to do four miles. But Rob and I were really trying to dive into the logistics of how do you tackle this. So maybe Rob can go through how we were talking about it. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I'm not sure has been mentioned yet is that every loop, when they start, if you don't make it back to the start, you're eliminated. Right. So the objective is to be the last man standing. So over time, people don't make it back from the loop where they step bad on a rock and roll an ankle and they have to drop out or uh, they just get to a point where they can't do it anymore because they've run so many miles. So while, like Nate's saying, 4.1 miles in, in an hour is really quite easy. And when Nate first brought this to me, my first thought was, my goodness, even if you went slow and did it in 35 minutes, you'd have 25 minutes to rest every loop. Um, but then we started thinking more about it, and I started going, you know, you should never run an uphill because it's too much work on your calves and your arches, and it's not efficient. And we kind of moved more towards this. Everything has to be about maximum efficiency because the objective is not to cover the ground fast, but to cover more ground and make it back to the start line over and over again. And so I think Nate started looking at some of the people who have done this kind of race and was finding that they're they're taking 50 to 55 minutes to do the four miles. And as we started talking through it more, it made more sense. It was all about efficiency. Like, do not use energy that is unnecessary at any point. Because when you think about the insanity of what Nate did, 24 (laughs) times around that loop, that means he was awake for 24 consecutive hours. So four miles in an hour doesn't sound hard. Four miles every hour for a few hours really doesn't sound hard. When you think about going all night long and never sleeping and still getting up there and going out for another loop and running, it it starts to really become a little bit insane or a lot, <laughs> maybe, I think. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, we were just 
we had to completely change the way we think about things. Everything we had done since we started working together was here's your target pace, here's the workout, go get comfortable with the race pace that you're going to run. And I think Old Forge was the first time that we really kind of said, you know, pace isn't really the primary focus. We need to make sure we're smart, but we were still trying to run it within a certain time window. This was just a completely different animal. So you had to look at it completely differently. Right. So what did you do when you had that five or six minutes before having to get back in and ready to go? That five or six minutes came down to getting into camp. And then we had our little pop-up tent and a whole camp set up right there. And I have to give a shout out to uh, Gabby and her husband, Justin, as I said, Gabby's brother, Tom, Uh, These are all Gilbertsville, Mount Upton people. Tom was in my class in school. I've known Tom as long as I can remember. Uh, We played all sports together. And uh, so Tom was there. Justin and Gabby's two sons were there, Ari and Liam. Amanda, my wife, was there. And Josie, my my daughter, the the four-month-old. So that group was waiting for me every time I got back. And they would come up to me, and they would already have my bottles pre-made. So I would wear a vest that can carry two water bottles. Um, and the, the material of the water bottle, it's not the hard bike bottle. It's more of a, a soft plastic, so it's, it's very easy to carry. And every loop I would say, next loop I want this or this. And so they would have that ready for me. So most of the time I'd come in, they'd hand me my bottles, I'd get set, we'd talk a little bit, and I would try to eat something every lap. That was really important to me, whether it just be a couple pieces of fruit, um, you know, just grapes or strawberries and blueberries. I sometimes would have a a power bar. There was a couple of laps where I did a quesadilla. Um, I had bites of a, (laughs) and it got ridiculous as it went along. Uh, Half a hamburger, one lap. Uh, In the middle of the night, we were going with Coca-Cola and crispy bacon. It was whatever sounded good. I had a lot of potato chips. Now, if you're thinking about running and eating all this, it usually does not jive well, but (laughs) At that point, I just think you're consuming, you're using calories so fast. I really didn't have many stomach issues. I had a little bit in the middle of the night where my stomach was bugging me, but I got through it. And the the drink formula that I was using also has calories in it, which was providing me some extra energy. But basically, you get to a point where that six or seven minutes is, it flies by. You know, you blink and it's time to go again. And so we were right there by the start and finish line. So I would literally cross the line, come over to the tent, be doing that, and they would give a three-minute warning, a two-minute warning, a one-minute warning. And so you're just sitting there, and then boom, you're right back on the line. So that really flew by. So my main objective was to eat and uh, refill and make sure I had everything I needed. Does everybody start then at the same time? Yes. So every hour, they give you that one-minute warning. If you don't get in the chute uh, for the start line, even if you're one second late, you're done. So you have to be in the shoot, and you start the same race over and over. And going back to the guy who created this style, he said part of what makes it difficult is you have every opportunity in the world to quit because you're in camp, you're sitting in your chair, you're with your friends and your family, and you got a hot meal there. Why do you want to go back and start the same damn loop again? So it almost becomes this battle of this mental battle of can I do that one more time? So, yes, you have to be back in the start corral uh, when, the, when the horn goes off. So speaking of that mental challenge, Rob, I mean, you must have to talk to people a lot about, you know, con- convincing them that, no, you know, stopping here is not a good idea or 
you know, making a change in whatever there uh, is happening in their race. What about the mental? It's got to be so important. Absolutely. I mean, I've done three presentations this week to the cross-country team at the college about it. You know, you have to actively, and you have to practice it. It's not something you can just do. I tell them, you can't be one person in training and another person on race day. It's just not how it works. Um, You have to practice having a positive mindset and talking yourself through it. Because even in a short race, a two-mile or a 5K, if your head starts spiraling and starts focusing on how bad you feel and how awful it is and how humid the weather is and everything else, it's just going to keep unraveling and you've lost seconds every half mile at that point. So you really need to work on a mindset. When Nate was doing this, I mean, I think we knew going in that it was going to be mentally challenging as well as physically challenging. When I went to bed, had a full night's sleep, woke (laughs) up the next morning and found a text from Amanda that he was still going. <laughs> I was f- absolutely flabbergasted. Um, I just, I I can't imagine, and Nate and Amanda came over for dinner, and we got to just talk about what the mental challenges were. And, and watching some people that just all of a sudden, they were just done. They caved. They quit. They gave in. You know, and like he said, there's so many opportunities to justify it to yourself that that's enough, you're good, you can walk away from it. And and the challenge to keep going is, I, I can't, I've never done anything that I think would be on par with what he did in this race. Well, Craig, what's funny about this too is, and Rob and I have discussed this at length now on the phone and at dinner, I've been way more prepared for many races in my life. Marathons, you name it. Like, I didn't have the best training cycle I have a newborn, a job that keeps me up late. I mean, maybe all those things helped with the the sleep, the lack of sleep during the race, <laughs> yeah. but there's really no rhyme or reason besides, I think, the mental side that uh, points to me finishing a 100-miler because I have been in way better shape, and, and Rob can probably talk to this. There was nothing in my training that really pointed to, hey, he's going to go out and run 100. I really just had a fantastic day is one of those special days that you hope comes along and everything came together. But I think Rob would say there was nothing in my training. that was like, Oh yeah, he's ready. <laughs> in, in the time I've been working with Nate, this was by far the least physically prepared that I felt he was for the, the task that he had to do. Um, his, his long runs were shorter than what he was doing when he was training for a 26 mile marathon. So I think, we knew he had done the 50K, and we, we certainly saw that as, like, the one benchmark. And, and it's a little different than going and running 26 miles hard. Now you can break it up a little bit. So you get eight loops in. I think now you're at 50K. And then maybe he can get to 50 miles, which would be awesome. Like, can you get to nighttime? Yeah. Get to 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And in talking with Nate, and he can talk a little more about how he worked himself through this, he just kept finding – Little benchmarks, like, okay, like, let's get to 50K. Okay, let's get to dark. Okay, let's let's get to 100K. And But every time you meet one, you now find that next thing until you can't find another thing that's worth it to you. And, you know, he was down to, I think when I woke up in the morning, there was only two people left in the event. And I felt really inadequate because I had 
since he started the race, I'd mowed the lawn. <laughs> I'd had a big dinner. I'd had a full night's sleep and woke up, and this guy was still out running loops. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah. That, you know, how many people started this race? I believe there was 50 people that started, which doesn't sound like a big number, but they try to cap these races. I think the the cap was 80. So if 80 people had signed up, they would have they would have shut it off there. But they try to keep it small because when you think about it, the, as a race director, you don't know when this thing's going to end. There's been some races on the national level that have gone days, three, four days, uh, because these guys won't quit. So I think they try to keep it small. It's much easier to manage within the park. But there was 50 people, and I, I did get to the final two. Tell us about, before we get to that, tell us about some of the people that dropped out along the way and why. And did you have conversations like you talked about in the marathons with people? I did. I met a lot of really cool people, especially once we got down into the single digits and especially at night. It was really interesting during the day to see the different tactics that people were using, different approaches. Some people were going a little faster. I mean, the first probably three or four loops, I was second to last coming across the line. And I was so pumped about that. It was like, okay, I'm following my plan. This is going to pay off. Um, So you would just hear different people talking and you'd kind of scope people out and say, oh, that guy looks like he could go a long time or she looks like she's got some experience. And just every lap, especially once we got up over 20 miles, you could just kind of see it start to dwindle. And then once we got to the nighttime, that's where it really started to to go down. But I mean, I met uh, a woman from Lithuania that was there. We ran a bunch together. Uh, The guy who finished third I thought was going to win the race. Uh, we spent a lot of time together. I mean, I have a million stories, but you just meet some really cool people and, and running at that pace and being out there for that long, you get a lot of time to to get to know them. Yeah. And yourself. Yes. And yourself. So what about just a couple of the stories? Like how did some people drop out? The third place guy, I wish I had had a, more of a chance to talk to him after he dropped. We went out at I think three or four in the morning and we get probably, I don't know, a quarter mile out of camp, right? When you start to drop back down on, onto the, the darkest part of the course. And he said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to take a pee. I'm going to step off and I'll catch up with you in a minute. And I went down the hill and around the corner and I never saw him again. And I just kept thinking, this is the guy I think is going to win this race. Everybody had been talking this guy up, um, especially early in the day. And he looked the part he had a great pace. He looked effortless. And I thought, wow, you know, if I can hang on with this guy for as long as I can, I'll, I'll have a great day. And I do know, I did get to talk to him briefly in camp. And he said, the minute your light went around the corner, I was done. He's like, I couldn't see you anymore. It's pitch dark. And I said to myself, why am I out here? <laughs> and he turned around and went back to camp and, and quit. He stayed the whole time and watched me finish, which he didn't need to do that. It was so cool to see him there at the end. I didn't really get to talk to him as much as I wanted, but you know, I told that story to Rob, and he, I think he was kind of fascinated by that. That was the mental part. I, I think that's the perfect example of it. You know, Here's a guy who had the fitness. He had the ability. He did not have to stop, and his mind beat him. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that thought crept in, it was over with. And it's when you're that far in, that that kind of stuff is going to happen. And it's amazing. People are going to drop, I think, for every different reason you can concoct in your head. Somebody has probably dropped for that reason. Yeah, some people didn't make it back on loops. And 
we'd be going back out and they'd be coming in and we'd all cheer for them like, hey, you know, you did a great job. Some people would get back to camp and just wouldn't go back out again. They just threw in the towel. Some people just like that guy stepped off the course and said, I, in the middle of a lap, I, I don't want to do it anymore. So saw a lot of different reasons to to throw the towel in. And So you had said to me when you first came back, I didn't even know he was doing this race. <laughs> you know, I come back, you know, so I don't know what it, it was, must have been something on Facebook or somewhere that you were ringing some bell mm-hmm. and someone said, oh, Nate did a uh, big race in New Jersey, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> he did. And then as I discovered that he ran a hundred miles, I was like, how do you not tell us what you're doing? (laughs) Honestly, a lot of people have said that to me. And I went in with the attitude of being as positive as I can, but I wasn't going around telling people, hey, I'm going to go run a hundred miles. I kind of thought I'm going to go and see what I can do and do the best that I can. And Maybe if circumstances are different, I drop it 35 or 40 miles. And, you know, I just wasn't making a big deal about it because I really didn't know what the heck was going to happen out there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, let's talk about the guy who won. Yes. Because, right, so Nate came in second or actually let's – Nate was disqualified. Yes. Right? I mean, that's what it is. Only the winner is an official finisher. So everybody else, this is the fun part of this race. Everyone else technically goes down as a, a DNF, a did, did not finish. <laughs> did, did not finish after 100 miles, Rob. I mean, how in does that, that happen? In that video, the bell I was ringing, if you ran a PR or your farthest distance, they had this little bell and you'd come over and ring the bell. So they had me do that. And then the race director said, and here's your medal for a very, very, very well-earned DNF. <laughs> so it's kind of just a fun joke with this race. If you know the sense of humor of the guy who started this style of race, that's so that's so him. So um, it's the best DNF I've ever Absolutely. had. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and uh, let's talk about the guy who won. I mean, who is this machine? He's a 59-year-old guy wow. from Maryland. Um, his name is Tom. And he had probably the most unique approach I had seen in the race. He would walk all the uphills like everybody else, and he was in the back of the pack with me. But if we got to any downhill section, didn't matter if it was the most technical, rocky section, he would literally sprint down the hill. He was super fast. And there was several times where I would be ahead of him. I would just step off the trail and get out of his way. I thought, this guy's a maniac. (laughs) I never thought – and we – Several people commented, like, he can't survive doing that. When it got down to just me and him, we got to talk a lot. I think he's done five or six 100-mile races. He's done a 200-mile race. And that's. I said, why do you do that on the downhills? He goes, that's just how I feel good. He goes, I my legs are long, and that's how I run. And I threw in the towel at 100 miles because I thought, this has been probably the best running day of my life. 100 miles was kind of like a secret life goal of mine at some point to try it out. Never thought I would maybe have a chance to finish it. It just felt like the right time. Um, I knew I was really starting to hurt pretty good. Could I have gone more? Yes. I don't know how much more. But this guy was saying to me, oh, let's go for 120, brother. Course record's 150 miles. Let's do it. (laughs) He was just so fresh and happy. I didn't want to ruin my experience by necessarily just going out there and dragging myself into the mud. I 
I think he was unbeatable that day. He was there by himself. He had a plastic tote that he would come back and get his food out of. I mean, he was kind of this long-haired, hippie bandana guy, and he just had the magic. You said about before feeling <laughs> inadequate. 59 years old. Oh, yeah. Oh, that got another inadequate feeling out of me, <laughs> yes. When he told me that, I, I slunk a little lower in my chair. <laughs> well, that's yep. amazing. So about his, the whole way this guy did it, you're probably thinking that flies against the... Doesn't make any I, sense. I have no explanation. I, I, I have no explanation for how that guy was doing it. I have no explanation for how Nate did what he did. <laughs> I just, I, I was dumbfounded and I was driving to our cross country practice at 8.48 in the morning. And I know Nate's due to get back into camp probably in about five more minutes. And I'm driving to where this practice is going to be and it's going to be out of service. And so I'm like stopping and pulling over and texting Amanda. And I'm like, hey, did he get back in? Is he going back out? And I just, I had to get to practice. I hadn't heard anything. And I finally found some service along the trail while we were running and got the note that he had made it back in. He'd completed the 100 miles and and that that's where he decided he was done, which I think was probably a wise decision because like he said, you don't want to ruin your experience. And when you get that far beyond the place that your body's ever been, it no longer recognizes what's happening to it anymore. So he could have gone out for one more loop and suffered a compound fracture from stepping on a rock wrong, you know, and now they've got to talk about extracting him from the forest and everything else. And, um, you know, the, the human body, when you run a, a one mile race, it doesn't know you're racing. It thinks you're dying. So it starts pooling its resources to your vital organs in the center <laughs> of your body, which is probably largely why he didn't have a lot of intestinal issues or stomach issues because the body is in survival mode because it doesn't know that you're doing this voluntarily. <laughs> so um, I, I think getting to 100 miles, I, I just I don't know how that happened. I have zero explanation. I feel like I'm inadequate on the podcast. I can't no, explain it. No, no, I, I think I, well, I was just about to say to you, you know, of all the accolades that you've won yourself, but then the the coaching and training this is, a, I trained Nate Lull to do 100 miles. <laughs> it's more impressive than anything I think I've ever done, for sure. Um, you know, my wife and I jumped into the 70-mile canoe race one year. I think the longest paddle we'd done was eight miles. And she asked me, she's like, are we going to be able to do this? And I was like, yeah, we're both endurance athletes. We just know how to put our heads down and go. And we'll get through it because that's how we're wired. And we got through it, and it wasn't a problem, and we're still married. Um, <laughs> but when you start... You know, we went for 11 hours. When you start talking about 12, 15, 20, 24 hours, there are so many more layers to the mental fatigue and the physical fatigue that that I can't relate to and I can't connect with and I can't understand. Nate, did you have any time prior to the 100-mile mark where you said, man, I just don't think I can get there for another run? What's really weird about this race, and I, I've only had this happen on maybe two or three other occasions in my whole running career, it was that day where everything went right. The weather was good. My crew was there. I didn't have a care in the world. I don't know. Maybe it was because I went in with no expectations, but I felt really 
good the entire time. There was not a time out there where I thought, I can't make it back to camp. There was the last three laps, I did really start to notice that the the beyond was coming at me. So I knew like this is got I had to be very careful. Every step had to be calculated. I was especially on the trail. I was very I was taking some of the downhills really slow because I I thought exactly that if I trip and fall here because I'm tired um and I break my leg or something I'm going to be really pissed off at myself. So I was being very aware of that cuz I also knew I I felt like the shutdown was coming. And after I finished the race, I did an interview and I was feeling good. And Amanda was kind of like, you look strangely good. Cause she says that I turn a different color usually after a marathon. And she's like, you look good. And I sat down in a chair and about 15 minutes after I finished it, just, it hit me. Like I ran into a wall and I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's what I just did. And I was pretty useless the rest of the day. But during the actual run, I felt really good. The last three laps, I, I did start to get very concerned about not making the time back, but I just had the splits down where I needed to be, especially the last lap. I thought, boy, if I mess this up on the last lap oh, yeah. and I don't make it back in time, I'd be very mad at myself. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be already planning to go back next year, knowing yeah. you. But for some reason, I never had the I want to quit moment. I I really didn't. I didn't have that moment. I think part of it was I knew the guys at camp weren't going to let me quit, and I just felt really, really good. So it's again, I can't explain it. If I attempt another hundred miler, I do not expect it to go that well. <laughs> well, I mean, Rob, do you uh, has he been talking yet? I mean, it's only it's less than two weeks ago that you did this. But have you, knowing you, did you look up some other ultras and say, hmm, I wonder how that would go? Unfortunately for me, the time that I did does qualify me for other 100 milers. So now I have kind of gone down that rabbit hole of like, oh, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what the Vermont 100 is all about. You know, but I haven't even um, thought about signing up for anything. I'm really trying to enjoy this and take some time and let my body recover. The biggest advice I've gotten from other people who have done these types of things is don't push it. Like when your body's ready, it'll be ready. And if you come back too quick, it's, you're going to pay for it. So I have that a lot with canoe racing and marathoning. You finish the race and you're on this high and then you immediately start looking for something else to sign up for. But I'm trying not to do that this time. <laughs> I assume you'll help him in those decisions. <laughs> well, I did. I did send him a text uh, the the morning right after he finished. Uh, within the hour or two, I said, "Hey, nice job, man! You want to do an easy ten tomorrow?" Yeah. <laughs> and he did not respond in uh, the affirmative to that. Um, and I think it was maybe four or five days later he came over for dinner and he was already moving pretty well and he was already entertaining conversations. And there's there's a the escarpment. Yes. Run in the Catskills is a really unique, um, more of an ultra style trail kind of thing. So he didn't, he wasn't shooting anything down. But yeah, I think the, after he did the two marathons back to back weekends, we tried to get back into a training cycle afterwards. And he just felt really, it was hard. And after we went through a whole cycle and, and it wasn't a bad performance, but it wasn't what he wanted. Um, I think he kind of decided that that two back to back was so much and there wasn't enough of that recovery. Yeah. And, 
Um, I think with with heavy efforts like that, the the silence between the notes makes the music, and <laughs> I think the uh, the rest between the efforts becomes really critical. I did the two back to back in the fall, and then we did a hard training cycle for Boston um, in the spring, and I felt very prepared because of the plan that that Rob and I had. had. It was the longest um, block that we training block that we had had is the most prepared I ever felt going into Boston. And I knew in the first mile of the race, it wasn't going to be my day. And I just thought back to, yeah, for whatever reason, my body is just, and, and that's something that I thought about a lot in the hundred miler. Like you just don't know on race day, how you're going to feel and what the elements are going to do to you. And so I, I thought to myself several times during the hundred, like, enjoy this because you're actually feeling good right now. (laughs) You know, when you came in on Monday, which I was surprised he even came in, um, you looked, I've seen you after a lot of big races, a couple of days later, sometimes, you know, the next day, uh, you looked like you were definitely struggling more (laughs) than I'd seen. You know, your legs looked like you were a little bit off. Stairs were rough. Um, it felt like marathon soreness times five. I mean, that's really <laughs> is probably the best way to put it. And um, yeah, it's just it's you know it's been a week and a half now, almost two weeks, and I feel like I'm finally starting to feel good again. We've been doing a lot of walks. I had some really bad blisters on my feet that didn't bother me during the race, but almost kind of set in after the race. And made it really uncomfortable just to wear shoes and walk around. But, I mean, honestly, I have to say that for running 100 miles and for the hell that you put your body through, I I feel like I came through pretty unscathed, at least for now. I think there's going to be some looking to do down the road. Like, how am I feeling a month from now when I'm running again and try to go on a little bit of a longer run or do anything with pace. I'll be very interested to see how I feel because I know a lot of people have said it it messes you up for a while, but I also think totally worth it. (laughs) Like It's probably the race of my life, honestly. Crazy accomplishment. That is, it's amazing. And I know I can tell how amazing it is by the way Rob is responding to what you accomplished. I mean, you know, you've got a lot of experience. There's, there's not words. I can't, I can't come up with, a word or series of words that can explain how surprised I was to wake up the next morning. I fully expected to wake up and have a message from Amanda just telling me how far he had made it. And that was it. I ne- it didn't even cross my mind when I woke up to check and see <laughs> if he was still going. Right. <laughs> you know, and I turned on my phone and at the message, I think she had sent it to me at 10 after five in the morning that he was still going and I looked at I looked at it twice. I sent her a message like, still? Like now that it's eight? Yeah. And she said, Yeah, he's out there. And it's just I I think people who we've talked a little about the mental aspect and the the mindset and the you just have to have that positive attitude because as soon as you stop thinking positive thoughts, now why are you doing it? And it's the guy who stopped on the side of the road. He he took a stop, real quick break. And he let that question creep into his head of why am I doing this? And he didn't run another step. He turned around and walked that quarter mile back to camp and sat Mm -hmm. down. And, you know, people who know Nate, he's just an upbeat, high energy, enthusiastic guy. So he's naturally comes by that attitude. But man, you, you put that kind of attitude to the test with something like this. And so I think he's a little more upbeat than even I realized. I have to say that 
I mean, we've all, as runners, we all have bad races. So I thought back several times during the 100 miler to my four hour, 40 minute marathon, you know, that was probably the worst running day I've ever had. And I thought back to some of my big marathons where mentally I would come unraveled because you've spent four months training for this and your body's just kind of letting you down or my mind let me down. And so I can picture several times in a big race where I just knew I wasn't going to hit the time that I wanted and I just would start feeling sorry for myself and you get mad at yourself and you start saying, what am I going to tell people that were like, oh, you didn't hit your goal. And for some reason, this new ultra world has like washed all that away from me. It's been very much like this, this race had no pace expectations. It had no finish line expectations. It was almost just like, let's go out and have a party, which is kind of like what this trail running group is all about. That their mascot is a, a Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a party. And, you know, at night they're playing music and they got lights out and, it just had this whole different vibe for me where I feel like I just was not stressed at all. And I just knew it didn't matter if I ran it in 45 minutes or 59 minutes. As long as I got back to that line, I was good to go. I think that really helped me. Yeah. Along with doing some of the canoe races, honestly. When I first started paddling, the first year I did the 70, the guy I did it with, my neighbor, John Bertzel, broke it up into let's get to index let's get to Milford, let's get to Goodyear. And I always think about that. And when I did the Michigan canoe race, which is 120 miles, and that's overnight, it was the same thing. I picked points in the race, much like I did with this. Hey, let's get to a marathon. Let's get to 30 miles. Let's get to 40 miles. And so I just kept picking those little points out to me, and it just seemed very familiar from the other racing that I've done. What did the winner who has won a number of these and has done, you said, up to 200 miles, what did he have to say at the end when you uh, called it a day? He was trying to get me back in that shoot. <laughs> he said, come on, man, because all he had to do was one more, and then he's the winner. They called the race at that point. So we hung around till he finished. You know, we were packing up, and he finished his lap. And I firmly believe that he would have had a chance at the course record, which was 150 set two years ago. The guy who ran that 150 – qualified to go on and do some other races and he ran two two thirty or something like that, two hundred and thirty miles. Oh boy. And I have I have no doubt that this guy could be capable of doing something like that. He had the right mental attitude. He he knew what worked for him and for his body. And I almost felt bad because he, he said he was like, I, I'd love to keep going. And they called the race, you know, because we were done. Um so I almost felt bad in a way, but it was nice to to just chat with him and learn about his background. He just got into running probably five, six years ago. Oh, come on. Yeah. He's, he never has done a marathon. He started with ultras. Really? And he just said, I had a, he had this Southern accent, Southern drawl, and he, I had a buddy at work just said, I should try this race out. And I said, I'll go for it. <laughs> I said, well, good thing, because you're really freaking good at this. Yeah. And, wow. Um, yeah, he's a talented guy. Really talented guy. You know, I really want to know, are there ultras that include more than one person? Do you have like two people in in a race or four in an ultra? They do. They have various relay races. Um, I've done a bunch of relay races that are 200 plus miles, 240 miles. 
they do have some races out west that I've seen where you know you like if Rob and I wanted to. Team That's up, what I was going to suggest. Um, <laughs> but I haven't gone that deep down the rabbit hole yet. So maybe maybe at some point. But um, you'd have to be talking Rob through it. You remember what you he, told me? He'd be fine. He would. <laughs> he would be fine. I I'm a firm believer that if Rob still wanted to to run and train and he had all the time in the world, he would do great. But he's doing so much with his family and his job and. The community and teaching others that he doesn't have time for himself. It'd be pretty easy for me. I just have Nate do a hundred miles, and then I'll do ten, and then he can do the, uh, the next hundred, and I'll do ten. Yeah, wow that that would be pretty cool. I'm only and I only said that about Rob because the face he made when I said, "How about you too?" <laughs> I uh, I am so the reason that this even came about this interview was because I said to Nate I was asking him question after question when we were. Uh, even before on the air, a brief, and I was so intrigued by this, and not only the fact that he did 100 miles, but just the whole idea behind it and the different kind of racing. I think this is probably helpful to the, the race world, right? I think so. It's a a really neat idea when you think about it. Forget me being in second place. I think about the person that was out there that wanted to run 20 miles, 25 miles, and they never have, 30 miles, whatever it might be. Everybody that got to ring that little personal record bell, like that's a huge win for them. So it's a race where it's not just like there's one winner. It kind of felt like there was so many different winners because there were so many people that, you know, finished at six o'clock and rang the bell and they were thrilled. They, they were like, yeah, I dropped out, but guess what? I ran X number of miles and I'm pumped. So mm-hmm. that was kind of cool to see as well. And to hear the stories from the pit crew of, you know, I, I didn't necessarily always get to see that, but they would see people come in and they'd tell me how this person was feeling or that person was feeling and what the story was when this person dropped out. And I just think it was neat to see that many different people kind of have a, a great day, I guess, for having a DNF. <laughs> yeah, that's the greatest. Yeah. Uh, you know, did not finish. But the other question I had for you is you said you had a great race and it was just one of those days where your body just did everything went well. You had blisters, you didn't even feel them when you were running and so on. But it had to be pretty special when you came in each time and seeing Josie there. And uh, that had to be inspirational and, and help your run. It was great because they stayed all through the daylight hours, and then we had planned that Amanda and Josie would go to a hotel, and, you know, obviously she's four months old. She needs she can't be sleeping outside at this darn thing. So we said, I, go back to the hotel. And I don't know why I didn't really think about this. I started thinking about during the race. I'm like, well, we don't have a plan. What if I drop in the middle of the night? we're just going to call them and they're going to come pick me up at 2 a.m. Like what a great call from your husband who dragged you to this ultra marathon. Now I got to wake up our four month old in the middle of the night to come pick you up. Of course, Amanda and Tom and Justin and Gabby had made a plan, but I didn't know that. So literally in the night hours, one thing that kept me going was, well, if I just go one more hour, it's another hour. I don't have to disturb Amanda and Josie. Like your mind at that point was just playing so many tricks on you that I just thought, I really thought it was like a great idea. I was like, well, if I can just get to the daylight, even if I quit then, 
at least I didn't have to wake them up, right? If I could get to that four or five in the morning when she's normally getting up anyways, like I'll be a hero. I also kind of knew in the back of my mind, if I get to four or 5 a.m., they're going to have to drag me off this course because if I'm that close to 100, Mm -hmm. I got to try to go for it. But just those little mind games during the night that keep you going. And then when when I went off on the last lap, they said, when you get back, we'll have a surprise for you. And the big thing when you run 100 miles is you get a belt buckle. That's how it is. That's the prize. So I thought, okay, cool. They'll have a belt buckle for me. Like, that's cool. And when we get back, the race director, like, came right into the shoe and kind of, like, gave me a hug. And she's like, Josie's got something for you. And I walk over, and Amanda and Josie are right there in the finishing shoe. And Josie's in her in her uh, car seat. And she's got the 100-mile buckle right sitting oh, on her lap. Awesome. And I'm just like, makes me want to cry Nothing better. It. And I'm just like... A, you just finished 100 miles, like coming down the home stretch. I was so nervous I wasn't going to make the time cut off. Tom was ahead of me, and I could hear them cheering him in. And I'm like just looking at my watch every 10 seconds, like, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? So rounding the corner and getting through the line, like what an adrenaline dump. And then to see Josie with the buckle, I was like, this is yeah, like all-time moment. So, awesome. <laughs> oh, my God. It was awesome. So cool. Any final thoughts from you, Rob, on this uh, milestone, I guess, but also just, uh, you know, training or people that are hearing this thing, you know, maybe I'll try this kind of thing. I mean, yeah, first, just in terms of people thinking about running, just get out the door. It's it's tough to start sometimes, but if, if and I'm in my, in my older age now and not, not as fit as I once was, I still find to this day, if I just go out the door every day, even if it's not running for two miles, but maybe I'm running 10 minutes and I just get the routine of going out the door and doing it every day, then you get kind of like Nate was talking. If I get that close to 90 or to 100, I don't want to have to start it over again. So now I've got to finish. And you get that streak going of, you know, I've gone out the door 14 days in a row. I don't want to have to start over. So... I'm going to find a way to get a mile in and get 15 today. Um, you know, so I, I think that's my biggest thing is just go out the door. The hardest step is the first one. Once you're out there and you're mm-hmm. running, it gets a lot easier. Um, as far as the race Nate ran, I think maybe my favorite part of it was it was getting pretty late. They were down to three, maybe two. And the race director's going, who is this guy? Oh, <laughs> So she starts looking up on the internet because she's trying to promote some things and hype things up. And she wants to know more about this guy that looks so good still. And so she's looking stuff up. And eventually she comes over to the pit crew and she's like, I'm having problems with my internet. The page isn't loading. I can only see one ultra that he's ever done. And it was just a 50K. What's this guy's background? And they looked at her and said... No, that's all he's done. He's done one 50K race that was 31 miles, and now he's here. And and somebody in that world who has seen people do these things just could not wrap her mind around the fact that this guy just showed up with 31 miles under his belt and is out here doing 100. And I I can't – I've said it before. I cannot find words to express how ridiculous I think this accomplishment was because – there was nothing that indicated it was going to happen. I don't think he went into it thinking, oh. I'm going to get 100 <laughs> miles. You know, I think he chipped away at it and got close enough where he started thinking, like, I've got to get through the night so I don't disturb Amanda and Josie. <laughs> and now, man, but if I get to that point, I'm at 92. They're not pulling me off this course Mm-mm. because now 
it's the same thing as the running streak. You got to start at one again. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to do that. You you never know when you're going to get that day where everything clicks. And all runners have had it where they just feel great. They run the fastest they've ever run. They've run the farthest they've ever run. And they still feel really good. And those days are so rare. I mean, I've run my I've run since I was 13 years old, so 33 years now. And I can probably count those days where everything is just perfect on race day on one hand. And it's totally agree. It's unbelievable to have that kind of high, but you cannot let that opportunity slip. And I think that's where Nate just really kept his head in a good place and just kept chipping away. And I I just I'm still baffled by it, but it's it's absolutely unbelievable to me that he was able to pull that off. I started nicknaming. You see so much of the course. I started nicknaming different like trees and stuff, and I knew that if I got to this tree at this time, I had enough time to make the loop. And then if I could get to the next part of the course with a new name, I knew I could finish the loop. So like the last couple loops... I was just like, okay, just get to the next one, get to the next one, right? And um, that that was very helpful to just help me break it up. But with three laps to go, um, I just was like, I got a little behind, and then I pulled over to pee real quick, and then I looked at my watch, and I thought, oh, crap, like, I'm not going to make it. And I'm like, this is horrible. And that I don't think I've told you this, Rob. Like, I sp- like pretty much sprinted up one of the hills and I was like, I got to make the time up. I got to make the time up. Tom had gotten ahead of me. I'm like, I screwed it all up just so I could take a pee. And then all of a sudden I get to one of those markers and I was right where I needed to be. And I think I freaked myself out a little bit, but yeah. I was like, and I could see Tom again. And I was like, and then I'm thinking, did I just blow my legs up? You know, like, what did I do? So I just was like, take it real easy the rest of the loop. But like, that was really the only freak out I had. And that was at probably mile 90 or so or whatever it would be. And but it was just so helpful to have those little mile markers out there. And but again, just a a crazy day. I want to know some of the names of the trees. I wrote them all down in my phone, like shortly after the race. So I had so the first tree. I don't have my phone in here. I had woodpecker tree because it was like this tree that was over the course that obviously woodpeckers had just beaten up and mm-hmm. it was laying in the course. So I knew I could get around that. The next one was just the bridge. There was this bridge over a stream in the middle of the woods that was had a nice little waterfall, and I knew the bridge was about halfway, so I knew my time there. Next, I had the Narnia tree. It looked like <laughs> something out of Narnia where animals yeah. would be living in it, and I was just waiting at like mile 80 for something to come out and start talking to me out of that tree, right? <laughs> so I had the Narnia tree. Um, then I had Stonehenge. Because there was like this weird rock formation when I got to the top of one of these hills. So I had Stonehenge, Stonehenge 2. Then I had Trail Split where this whole loop was kind of a – this whole trail was a loop. So you would come up and take a right and then you'd eventually come back to there. So I just called it Trail Split. And then my last one is my favorite, Old Forge Ferns. There was this – random patch of ferns that reminded me of something of the of the 50k I did in Old Forge and I just started calling it that and I knew if I could get to Old Forge Ferns you were home free baby so See, it was like just random great, stuff yeah that's yeah. a great way to do it right i mean to to think like that so anybody that was like with me towards the end like i was just talking to myself and they're probably like what the hell is this guy talk old forge ferns like, <laughs> what yeah. so just started breaking it up like that yeah 
I think you you know the creativity could have been a little better. Stonehenge two, yeah, you could have come up with something else. And like, yeah, uh, at that point, creativity was kind of like <laughs> out, out the window. Uh, where's where was Luigi or yeah, something like that? Know. You know. Well, there's a very famous trail runner right now, Courtney DeWalter, who is probably at the top of trail running right now, best female by far, but beats men. Is just like really a cool story. She was a school teacher that just started running and she has her own style she wears big baggy basketball shorts and she kicks everyone's butt and um i've heard a bunch of stories with her where she's done 100 mile 200 miles and she hallucinates and so she's seen like uh i think it's like a panther sitting in a hammock and all this stuff and like animals playing the violin and i'm like where's that stuff right like i thought i was i'm here where is it but it never really happened for me. I uh, just have old forge ferns. Yeah, I'm just like ferns <laughs> and a tree. And the lady from uh, Lithuania, you know, for me, if I'm running at night, we see deer all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And there was like four deer that were pretty close to the, the road at one point. And I, I said, you see those eyes in there? And I pointed out and she freaked out because she was like, what is that? And I was like, just deer, don't worry about it. Like she thought it was something coming to eat her. Um, but – I did feel pretty comfortable during the night, even though you heard a lot of weird noises out there. It's a good way to eliminate the competition. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I honestly think that the dark of night and the loneliness did freak some people out and that would have run longer. Mm-hmm. But being out there in the pitch dark was weird, very weird. It's probably a whole other side of that race that you don't really think about going in is like, oh, it's, it's going to be dark and lonely. So, But I just, as we're wrapping up here, I, I also want to say that I can't say thanks enough to Gabby Pedersen. I almost, I said this to her at one point, and Gabby, I know you'll listen to this, but like, I feel like I like stole her day. She trained specifically for a year to do this race. I know she wants to get to 100 miles. It just wasn't her day. I know she's going to go back. I know that she'll get another 100 miler and she'll do it because she's tough as nails. But she stayed there the whole time and supported me. Didn't have to do that. Stayed up all night. I just can't thank her enough and, and Tom and Justin and the whole crew. Like, you can't do this by yourself and unless you're the guy who won the race. <laughs> he did do it by himself. But, yeah, he had nobody there. Um, but, I mean, that's that's great that she stayed yeah. and was you know supportive like that. How many miles did she do? I think Gabby ended up doing a little over 40. And it just – she wasn't feeling great and, and decided to call it and – you know, I can't wait. I hope I'm there when she has this day because it's going to be really special for her. And um, her brother, Tom, who, again, I, I grew up playing all sports with, he called me the next day and he said, should I have pushed you to go one more? And he's that type of guy. Like he was that guy in school that would run through a brick wall to beat you. And he was really good at everything. And I've always admired him and his athletic abilities and I said, you know, man, next time we do this, yeah, I'm going to need you there to just drag me off the course. But, like, thanks for thinking that way. Like, he didn't have to call me the next day. Like, he was that into it mm-hmm. that he was like, should I have, like, not let you quit? So I just had a really good crew in my corner, and they were awesome. So thank you to them. Well, thanks for letting me do this. I really enjoyed this a lot. And, Rob, it's always great talking to you. And the amount of information that I've gotten here and learned from you and it's amazing i could see he's inspirational to people yeah you know like i said working with rob has been a a dream come true for me 
anytime I have a question, he's always got a great plan for me. And I can't thank you enough. It's been awesome. And who knows what the future holds for. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It really has because, you know, I have stepped away from coaching for the large majority of, of what I do now. So that still lets me stay in touch with that. But I now get to be more selective with who I work with. You know, I'm no longer in the situation where I have to coach everyone, even if they have a crummy attitude. Mm -hmm. um, so I get to, you know, I don't know if it's coaching or more consulting with Nate and, and Nick Arnecki mm -hmm. and, um, you know, some of the people that I've developed very close friendships with. And then it just becomes something that we share. So it's been very, very great experience. And you were telling me earlier that you have a son that just loves to run. That must make you happy. I, ha I have multiple sons that love to run, and they've been bugging me, and we've actively held them back from it a little bit just because I don't want them to grow up doing it because that's what Dad did. I want them to find their passion. Um, but my oldest had kept bugging me, and Skip Baxter at Delaware Academy runs a great youth program. So my oldest did it last year. My, my older two did it this year. And when my oldest dropped four and a half minutes from last year's 5K to this year's 5K and was 25th, I think, overall in the race, I kind of said, all right, if this is something you really want to do, I'll start supporting it a little bit more. So we took them to their first ever track meet out in Ohio. It was the Youth Nationals, USA Track and Field Youth Nationals. And Liam had one of those days that was not his day. Um, he he ran really, really tough. He was only three seconds behind what he had run when we did kind of a time trial, but you could just see it on him. It was every step was a struggle. Meanwhile, my eight-year-old who had run just under seven minutes for the 1500 took off, went to the front, wouldn't let anybody pass. And eventually he did fall behind some guys, but he dropped 45 seconds and took fourth at the national meet. So wow. um, it's awesome. And it's, it, it was not a very stacked field. It was the eight and under. Um, <laughs> I think there was eight kids that actually made it to the starting line. Uh, but, you know, it, it was a great example of that runner that has that day that's just not their day. It's mm -hmm. just not there versus the one that just everything went perfect for. And, uh, but yeah, my, my kids like to run. They, my middle son loves all sports. My youngest seems to be into just about anything. So who knows what they'll do? But it is fun to be able to go out now and run with my one of my kids. Yeah, that's great. That Delhi program is great. Skip does an awesome job, and it probably has the best name of any running club ever, right? Scrambled Legs. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> right? is that the yep. one? Yeah. What a great name. The Scrambled Legs program, and it's a character-building awesome. program that gets kids to develop some self-concept through running. Um and I mean, my kids have, my, my oldest did it, loved it, wanted to do it again. My, my uh, second grader this year wanted me to try and get him into it. It's usually for third graders, but I called Skip and helped out with the program a little bit and he was able to let Finley do it. Um, and we're kind of piggybacking off of that. I started a, a little mini pilot for lightning legs for taking those kids after the June bridge run and doing some track training with them and trying to get them into some track meets. Um, we did it only with distance runners, but I'm hoping that this spring we can do something a little more broad and, and get kids that can sprint and throw and do some of the other things. That's awesome. Again, thanks for letting me be part of this. And every, I tell you, I, every time I look at Rob, I just picture that seeing him from behind <laughs> and that long hair flowing as he runs down the street. I mean, it's just funny how you have these memories and every time I saw him because I think you've been up here uh 
before with Greg Davey in the past. Yep. And, you yep. know, and I just is that, you know, big smile and long haired kid and just, you know, and just great. You have, you have your uh, mother's personality, I think. <laughs> I think that's yeah. probably fair. Yes. Yep. And still, I mean, your steeplechase time is uh, still very high up there. So it's, it's that's fun. impressive. Yeah. It's fun to see people go for that time and uh, not even come close. It just shows how good he was. What was really cool for me was when I was coaching at Bainbridge, my time was still the league record. Yeah. And I got to coach Connor Fuller, who broke my league record. That's great. As as one of my athletes. So that was a lot of fun. Well, Rob, we'll have to have you back again. I know I've always been talking about doing a, an episode with you and Nick Arnecki, who I think is a great story, and he's continuing to run well, so we'll, we'll do that. And Craig, thank you for kind of hosting here today. It's the first time I've really turned over the reins besides episode 200 with Ed. So yeah. it's fun. I don't love talking about myself, but if we are going to do it, this is a, a good thing to highlight. So Absolutely. And I, I know that a lot of people will have questions. So this, uh, now I can say, hey, go listen to the show. So, well, thank you again, guys. Thank All right. you. That's going to wrap up uh, our special edition today here on the Nate Law Podcast. You can go back in the archives. We've had Rob on before, a lot of other great running episodes. And we'll see you again soon on the Nate Law Podcast. You've been listening to the Nate Law Podcast. Download each new episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.